welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hello, hello, and happy holidays, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another Knock On podcast. Certainly hope that everyone out there is getting ready for a awesome family weekend here with Christmas and New Year's right around the corner. And uh, I'm looking forward to kind of get things going again. It's been a pretty hectic last month and a half here for me. I've had several things going on. One, the the new Hoyt bows came out just a little bit later than what I normally get them as, so I've kind of been trying to use this time to start shooting again. Plus, with my shoulder, I've really had to focus on trying my best to to shoot as part of my rehab, so I'm kind of making that part of my routine daily and also really focusing on my fitness and getting myself back. I'm getting fairly close to my one-year mark here from the surgery, so I am uh, have a pretty hefty goal in front of myself to be better than I was when I went in for the surgery. Um, so I've been really focusing on that goal and making sure that I'm going to be there here in another month. So I've had a lot of stuff going on. Plus, we're only two weeks away right now from launching season six of knock on tv uh, on the sportsman's channel and wild tv so you know for those of you who ask where to find the show you're going to be able to find it pretty much january through the end of june on the sportsman's channel or on wild tv we always run first and second quarter so that's where we're going to be um a lot's happened in the archery world in the last month and a half. There's been a lot of familiar faces changing archery brands, which, you know, honestly is is kind of inevitable, something that the industry continually uh, has happened on occasion. Uh, honestly, it just, I think, gets to the point for a lot of companies where, you know, they start to to make a change in marketing direction or you know people might get an offer that's better with an with a newer company and you know they want to move on and try something different so there's been a lot of shifting of the tides but I guess from my aspect I kind of come to expect that I've spent a lot of years working with staff programs and working on pro staff contracts. So I think it's just inevitable that that happens on occasion. So it really wasn't a surprise to me. Um, I knew about a lot of these changes that were coming. So for those of you out there who are kind of really into the gossip, you know, the gossip type things that like to see people change brands and really like to get in and try to figure out why they went from one bow to another, one site to another, one release to another. Uh, You know, normally 
on the professional level, it's going to boil down to cash. Um, you know, there is an expense to shoot and compete. And I can tell you that, you know, when I used to travel and shoot and compete in all the events that I did, um, for multiple years, I tried to almost shoot something or be traveling or shooting with, with the U S team somewhere every single weekend, it adds up fast, especially when you're in the compound division and you're not really funded, um, to travel with the teams. I know that, um, you know, I've, I've spent as much as 20 grand a year just in travel fees and entry fees. And, um, you know, you have to factor all that in. And some of these changes that were made, I'm sure were made for, you know, just a, a betterment of the person that made the change. Uh, not necessarily any of them for equipment reasons. You know, I think once you're at that professional level, and we've seen this over and over and over again, we've seen people change from one bow company to another bow company and then immediately start doing good. You know, you start to, you know, obviously people are going to say, oh, the bow's better, or, you know, he's shooting better with this. But the reality is, in my opinion, it's almost similar to what I just went through. Um, a couple things happen. One, you're you know you're trying to make a change that's gonna financially better what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve. But then also, you know you have to personally make sure that you're gonna go out and be able to perform at the level that you're expected to perform at. And a lot of times, once you try something new or get into a new piece of equipment that's going to mean that you spend more time behind it trying to figure out, you know, your fine tuning or really try to find your feel, find your rhythm with your shot. And at least it's been my experience that when you have to make a big change like that and you're almost have a new focus and a new drive, then you're going to perform at the level that you're at least known for or even better just because of that extra time. You know, for me, um, I always enjoy shooting and I enjoyed practicing, but, you know, I can honestly say that over probably the last four or five years, I haven't spent near as much time behind my target bows um, just simply because I feel like if I'm shooting good, and I'm shooting good enough to either do my seminars or do my hunts, or if I'm going to go do a, a local, you know, fun shoot with my family or something like that, or or a fun shoot for an archery shop that I might be doing an event for, then I'm pretty much happy with how my shooting is. Whereas when I had to learn to shoot again with that mouth tab using my opposite arm, you know, it was a whole new learning curve. And I knew that I needed to practice at that every single day and really try to learn it. So I got really proficient at it. And then now the name of the game for my rehab with my shoulder is just repetition and trying to shoot as much as I can until I start to get, you know, 
fatigued or sore inside there and then, you know, step away from it for a few days and then come back and try to push it just a little bit further the next time. So right now I'm actually shooting really good because of the fact I'm putting so much more time into what I'm shooting. Um, I'm just really having to focus on small little details. I'm really focused on my strength right now as well as just trying to get my stroke and my rhythm back into my shooting. Uh, You know, for those of you who aren't uh, social media people, uh, I just put some different videos out on our YouTube channel, which is Knock on Archery. Um, And that's a great place to go. If you subscribe, which is free, then you'll be notified as soon as I put a new video up. And sometimes some of the videos that I put up are only available to the subscribers too. So that's been uh, really popular here over the last several weeks. I've been trying to put some some videos up there, some archive stuff that I found. Uh, I found an old training video. Um, I was actually trying to look back through some of my archives, um, just looking at my timing on my shot to try to compare with my current timing. And I found an old video shooting at 70 meters uh, from one of my years training with the team. So I put, I put that up and that got a lot of response. Um, and it's, it is fun to see myself shooting like that. And, um, it was fun to see all your responses out there. But then I started, um, kind of trying to be creative. I've filmed a couple different, uh, 300 rounds that I shot. I was actually really happy just to shoot my first 300 round. That was, it felt like the first time I ever did it, to be honest with you, because one of the downsides to having my bow shoulder go out was it has slightly changed my movement in my front arm. And, you know, my front bow arm used to be incredibly steady, and now it it has its tremors. So I had kind of really started to have a little bit of doubt on whether or not I would be able to have the same type of front bow arm, same type of front sight window picture that I was used to having for all those years. So to finally get a 300 was a pretty big hurdle for me. And then, you know, it's kind of just like every other person out there. Once you do it, you just realize, oh, well, that really isn't even that big of a deal. So then you just start building on your X count and, you know, start aiming smaller and hitting smaller. And, you know, that's what I did on another video. I did a time lapse um, shooting that round. And actually, I filmed that whole round uh, with three different cameras. I haven't put together the video um, of all my shots or uh, the video from a little bit wider view going to the target, but that'll be pretty cool when I get that put together. Uh, You'll be able to kind of see what each of my shots looked like, and you can kind of see, or at least I can tell, the ones that are a little bit weaker are the ones that kind of got a little bit squirrely. 
Um, but then also I can tell some where it was a pretty weak shot, but my arrow still went right in the middle, which, you know, I'm getting along really good with this new Hoyt Hyper Edge right now. I haven't got to shoot it out at any longer distances yet. The It's been really windy, really cold here in Iowa. Um, and I had kind of posted that I'm getting along really well with it. And someone made a comment on there that, that I kind of thought about for a few minutes. And it was something along the lines of, you know, any pro is going to shoot good with any bow. And that is definitely true. Um, and that was something that I just talked about a little bit earlier. You know, if you're a, if you're a top pro, you can grab any bow. And if you put, if you put time into it, you're going to make it shoot. For me, I can tell you that I could probably shoot a 300 with almost any bow out there at one point in my career, but the difference is ease of getting that round. Um, You know, when I look at how I shot for this last 300 round that I shot and put on YouTube, I would say only about 26 of my shots were good. Um, So the fact that two of my shots that were marginal still went in the X. That really, to me, shows that I've got a a setup that's being forgiving to my mistakes. And that's something that any archer should look for. And this is something that's important to talk about because, you know, each and every year when new bows come out, people focus on different things about those bows that they like and you know a good example of that is a lot of models out there right now are offering you know speed models or offering turbos or whatever they are and you know depending on your draw length and your statue and what type of cam feel you are used to shooting those bows may or may not play to your advantage or play to your favor I've never been a shooter that likes a aggressive cam. I don't I like a solid wall, but I really don't like a short valley. Um I put a lot of emphasis on my pole and my front shoulder being down and forward, so technically if I ever focus more on the other one if I don't have a little bit of forgiveness back in my valley, I'm normally going to miss by creeping forward. And certain cams promote that same type of thing. You know, if when I started to try to shoot, um, well, even back when I shot Matthews, a Black Max cam, that was super aggressive. Um, I could not shoot that very good at all. The it was taking too much, too much emphasis on keeping that cam pulled all the way back, and I couldn't kind of mentally let go and think about some other things in my shot process that I needed to. So I would have a lot more arrows that were hitting high in the target because I was creeping and not really knowing that I was. Um, even back years ago when I shot high countries, it was the same thing. Um, you know, some of the hatchet cams came out with a, with a lower let off module. It was the same thing. I never really got along well with those. 
Um, even going back further yet, for those of you who don't know that I shot high country years ago in the early 90s and um, late 80s, I shot PSEs. Um, you know, way back then, I tried shooting like their G-Force because it was the fastest thing going and it, it ended up coming back to bite me just because it was not forgiving. Um, I've just really favored on my target bows in recent years, my Hoyt target bows, I've really favored the GTX cams because that original cam and a half to me, even though it was just a little bit slower than, than a spiral cam, it was easier for me to hold. And if I made a crappy shot, the majority of the time it played in my favor versus not. And what I really like to do to know whether or not a bow's working out for me is almost try to document your bad shots just as much as what you're documenting your goods. Because what you'll find is if you're trying a certain bow or even a certain arrow at a certain speed, if you know that you made a, a shot that was probably 80% of what your good shots are, and that arrow is going out, but then you have another setup where you feel like you can make almost a stupid shot, and sometimes you still get lucky and it goes in. For me, that's the bow that you want. I want the bow that when I make a crappy shot, it still goes in the middle. Um, and that's where, you know, the forgiveness comes in. So, you know, when I said that I'm getting along really good with that hyper edge, it's not really saying that it's that it'll shoot more accurately than any other bow that I've had in the past. All it's really saying to me or when I make that comment is that it's got forgivability that's allowing me to make mistakes that I'm making right now and still get away with it. Um, you know, I like I like a bow that bails me out of my mistakes because honestly, I make quite a few of them. Um, but I also really tried to build my setups for forgiveness so that I'm not missing too much. You know, there's been a few tournaments that I went to with bows that shot really good when they were here in my backyard. But then as soon as I got to a tournament, I felt like I was fighting a demon out there because once I had a little bit of tension, my muscles were a little tight. I was a little bit nervous it felt like that thing was trying to practically jump out of my hands. It was moving around so much or I was unable to control where my where my wild arrows were going. So that's something that you should always look for when you're setting up a new bow or even considering a new one. You know, kind of maybe pay attention to people talking about forgiveness just as much as talking about speeds or performance. Some of the keys there, I can tell you right now, and a lot of people send me messages every day saying, I don't know if I should shoot this model or if I should shoot that model. Um, you know, this one's five feet per second faster. Uh, to me, five feet per second isn't even a factor. The best thing that I want to do is grab that bow, pull it back, and see what it feels like at full draw 
you know, have it feel that back wall kind of come forward just a little bit and see if it's trying to actually take that string away from your, from away from you. And if it's not, then that's probably the better option of the two. You know, you want something that feels good to you and feels comfortable. That's the main thing. Uh, focus on feel of the cam. Try to get something that has a decent string angle. You want to make sure that you're able to keep your head in a vertical position and have that string be at the corner of your mouth and the tip of your nose. That's going to put your peep sight at a pretty good distance from your eyeball. You know, you don't want to have your peep so far away from your eye that you have to shoot a mega, mega size peep in order to be able to center your sight housing. It's been my experience that the further that peep gets away from your eye, the more it's going to take away from accuracy downrange. It just starts to get really hard to align everything and keep your forgiveness when that peeps far away from your eye. So cam feel, brace height, string angle are going to be some important things for you to always factor in if you're looking at a new bow. And I'm sure that if you do, you're going to be happy with the results. So the, and if any of you are wondering why I'm a little bit hoarse, it's only because it's like four in the morning right now and I'm trying to get this podcast done. Um, I've actually got a really cool um, thing happening today. Uh, I'll talk about a little bit more later on. I'm going to go and meet someone from the knock-on um, pretty much a real loyal follower to myself and, and knock on as well. I'm uh, going to go see him today, so that's going to be really cool. Um, and I'll probably talk a little bit more about it than in another podcast, but I'm going to jump into some of the questions here that's recently been asked. Um, and just so everyone out there knows, I'm really behind on my personal messages. So if you've sent a personal message, there's some really old ones out there. Um, you guys got to just bear with me. I'm trying my best to get through all this stuff. Uh, it was a really hectic season this year with, had several friends draw tags from out of state that I was trying to help do some hunting with. And Obviously, I'm trying to, I've got a really busy um, winter coming up here, uh, really packed schedule, so I'm actually having to get almost half of my year's episodes done way ahead of time, so we've been working like crazy in, on editing and so forth, so I will get to everybody, just give me a little bit of time. Uh, in the meantime, I did go ahead and just grab a couple pages of questions here just to hit on this podcast. Um, so let's just jump into some of those. My first question here is from uh, Damien, and he says, um, my question would be, what's the best way to retrain your shot? I'm talking about starting at the stance, grip, shoulder, draw, and shot. He says, I do use video and pictures, but just wondering if you have any other useful tips. I know the importance of having your shoulder low, but how do you keep it there through the shot? Do you actively try to extend your shoulder down and out? 
it's one of my main reasons or my main areas of focus. And the reason this question stuck out to me was because obviously if it says shoulder, that's a focus of mine right now. Um, learning to have that front shoulder in the correct position is really critical. And it's something that takes a lot of training and training the right way. And this is something that I've talked about a lot, but I can tell you that if I'm seeing someone struggle on an archery line, seven out of 10 times, I'm guessing, is going to be front shoulder position and how that affects the rest of their posture. The front shoulder, and what gets tough here is the first thing that comes to my mind is there are a few archers out there that are pro archers that have a pretty jacked up front shoulder position compared to what I teach and what I like uh, and what I think is best for the overall public. Some of the pros out there that have a front shoulder position that's not necessarily textbook, you have to remember they are the exception. There's always going to be the exception. There's always going to be a Tiger Woods that has a swing that isn't like everyone else's on the golf course. And as soon as people try to take that swing and and a swing coach tries to make it into the same swing as everyone else, then it starts to kind of go downhill. Uh, they struggle with it because it was a gifted natural ability that he has had his whole life. Um, and if it's working, then go with it. Now, if he had developed an improper swing his whole life, but he was not a good golfer and he was trying to be, then obviously that's the time where you need to say, okay, well, this is what's working for everyone else. So let's try to get there. Um, there's a few archers out there that just, whether they're release punchers, whether they're, you know, high shoulders, whether they're leaned back, whether they have a big swooped elbow, uh, whether their string is way too much um, on their face or their anchor point's really low. Um, there's always going to be those few guys out there in the pro realm that are the exception to the rule. So you kind of have to just forget about that, move that to the side and focus on the things that really help 99% of the archery community in proper form. So I know that I've got a few articles out there on the front shoulder position. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to try to get an article that I've written on the shot sequence posted on my social media, on my Facebook pages. So if you're um, if you're one of my friends on my personal page, which I don't have any more room to accept anybody on there, if you've got a request out to me, then you have to go to the John Dudley athlete page or the knock on TV page as well. Um, I'm going to post an article on that draw cycle so that you guys can take a look here at what I'm talking about. Um, the main thing with the front shoulder 
is it needs to be down and forward. You know, if you're standing in your natural shooting position and your arms down at your side, if you just raise your thumb up towards the ceiling with your arms straight out, you know, have your hand down by your side, just, you know, on the side of your leg, and then raise your thumb up towards the ceiling, just like if you're going to be holding your bow. That position right there is going to be the perfect position for archery. It's really that simple. Now, if you want to raise it and then crush your scapula back against your spine, or if you want to put your shoulder high up against the side of your neck, you could certainly do that. But for me, natural bone structure, natural shoulder alignment comes from simple movements that are skeleton that our skeletal structure is used to and taking your arm and just raising your thumb up towards the ceiling with your arm out to the side that shoulders in a perfect position from there having the muscle to actually hold it into that position as you draw your bow back is going to take some muscles that are around that scapula that can help keep that in that position so your lap muscles, some of your rhomboids, pretty much any of the muscles that are along the center to the bottom of that scapula. If any of the muscles above the top portion of your scapula are tense, then chances are you're compressing or you're collapsing that front shoulder. And that can certainly give you shoulder pain, neck pain, headaches, um, all that comes from you pushing that scapula back against your spine or up, letting it come up high with that shoulder kind of up against where you feel tension on the side of your neck. You don't want any of that. Um, there's a movement. I'll try to post a picture of this too. There's a movement that I do to strengthen this scapula position that is a very simple movement but it works really really well for having that built up strength to keep that shoulder down and really all you need is um, a pull-up bar it really is is best or I mean anything that you can hold on to with your arms fully extended to where you're almost completely hanging. And from there, it's a matter of using a very short movement that just, instead of doing a pull-up where you use your biceps and where you use your arms to actually pull yourself up and your arms are bending, this motion that I started doing actually just rotates. It just pulls your scapula blades down lower in your back. And then you relax and your scapulas will stretch out again. You'll be dangling in full extension. Then you try to just pull your shoulder blades or your scapulas straight down and then back up. The movement is really only about three to four inches in travel. It's not a, it's not a pull up. It's completely focused on just your scapula being pulled down and what I do is, since most of my shots are anywhere from 
10 to 15 seconds in total length. What I'll do is I'll work on doing sets by hanging and I'll contract, I'll pull that shoulder blade down, I'll contract and I'll hold in that position for 15 seconds. Then I'll relax and then I'll pull again and I'll hold for 15 seconds and then I'll relax. You might not be able to do a whole bunch at once, but this is going to be critical to being able to build that stability and the strength and um, endurance in that front shoulder to be able to compete for an entire tournament and keeping your shoulder from collapsing. Um, Normally what I started doing the first time I started this, I could only really do a few at a time before I really needed to rest. So... I would kind of look at it the same as shooting ends with my arrows. You know, if you're, if you know you're going to be shooting three three arrows in an end, um, then really focus on trying to do three reps, holding for 15 seconds at a time, and then relaxing just for a few seconds, and then going back into your contraction again. Um, try to really work your way up to where you're able to do up to 10 because you know once you go outdoors and you're shooting five or six arrows at a time then being able to have that longevity to where if you ever had to hold for a little bit longer or you had to let down a few times while you're on the line you're gonna have that endurance built up your body will adjust really fast and this is a really simple movement that I learned over the years but it really, really does an awesome job for keeping that front shoulder down and forward. Um, I guess the first part of that question, you kind of talked a little bit about, you know, some of your starting points is with your stance, your grip, your shoulder, uh, your draw. With this article, I think you'll see quite a bit of of this in there. Um, One thing that I'll say is... I don't like to factor in too many things at one time if I'm ever trying to really focus on technique, focus on learning. So if you want to focus on this shoulder thing, don't try to throw too many things in there at one time. You know, I would I would really try to focus on this draw cycle for right now and have a lot of attention on that front shoulder position being in the right place and then just keeping it in the right place as you pull through your shot. I think for now that would be the step to take and and I think you're going to be happy with the results. Um, I don't know if I can um, find someone to film. If I can get someone to film, I may may just do a short video kind of showing that movement but otherwise I've, I know I've got some older pictures that can show that movement pretty good so the next question here is from Steven he says I want to change up my fletching on my Easton FMJ 400 arrows from a blazer vein to a AAE Pro Max 2.0 wanted to ask if you had any experience shooting it um, shooting that vein with broadheads uh, if so, what was your experience? Um, he says that he currently has clearance issues with the Blazers. Um, and this is, honestly, this is getting pretty common right now. A lot of bows are starting to bring those cable systems in closer and closer to the 
to the center of the riser. So a lot of people shooting these short, high-profile veins are starting to come into some clearance issues. And there's going to be a couple things there. One, if you are experiencing some clearance issues, um, you might need to start shooting with your cock vein out instead of your cock vein up. Um, that way you can have a little bit extra clearance um, on the inside there where that vein is passing your cables. Um, the first part of that question, yes, I'm shooting AAE Pro Max. Um, I'm shooting them as a four fletch right now. They're working really, really good. I'm shooting two broadheads, either a Rage Hypodermic or a Muzzy Trocar are the two broadheads that I've been shooting. Had a lot of luck with them. They've been shooting awesome. Um, I'm, I've tried four fletch in the past and didn't really like it. Um, but it, I think it was because of the actual vein that I had. These veins, if it is a shorter, longer vein, well, I shouldn't say longer, but if it's not, some of the four-fletch I've tried in the past, let me backtrack, have been the high-profile veins, so it would almost be like four Blazers or four Max Hunters. And for me, I felt like that was just a little bit too much. There was quite a bit of drag, and they were quite a bit noisier compared to just shooting them as the three fletch so I didn't decide to go with them they they weren't an advantage for me normally what I like to do is I'll take that uh, one of the veins that's kind of my all-time go-to vein is that 260 elite vein the AAE elite vein so I'll take that vein I'll sight it in at say you know 70 or 80 yards then I'll take another fletch configuration that I'm considering and I'll shoot those with that same sight pin. And the first thing I like to check is drag. If a new fletching configuration has a considerable difference in drag, it'll hit a lot lower on the target. So I don't want to give up my pin gaps too much. Um, there's a fine line. I might need more steering so that I can steer a certain fixed blade head. However, I don't want to give up too much drag for that extra steering. So there's kind of a teeter-totter there, and that's what you really have to weigh out is, you know, what those differences are. The other thing is drift. I like to stand. I've got a pretty cool little corner built here outside of my little archery dojo and I've got a, a six foot fence put up in a corner to where I can stand in totally sheltered um, a sheltered little pocket out of the wind and I can shoot and this is a really good time to test what type of horizontal drift I'm getting with certain fletching configurations um, and some have a lot more than others what i found was that four fletch on the pro max has a very minimal wind drift because there's less length on that vein the the surface area and the steering of that vein is really coming from the the extra surface area that's i guess linear with the shaft not necessarily you know 
from a horizontal point of view, it's not catching as much wind. So I've actually had better results with this small little low profile two inch pro max vane and a four fletch. I've had almost better results with that than what I did with my 260 elite vein, which I didn't think, I personally didn't think would happen. And I haven't tried it on multiple, multiple setups. So I can't say it, it's going to always be that way, but at least right now with my bows that I'm shooting, which I'm shooting uh, the new carbon defiant, I'm only shooting at about 64 pounds is about as high as I can get for poundage before I have pain. And uh, I'm shooting a couple different arrows. I've shot um, the FMJ 6mm. I've also shot the ACC 360. Um, both All those arrows are kind of coming in somewhere around the 420 to 450 grains. And, uh, you know, I'm shooting them in the 280s for speed. So actually, I think I'm shooting a little bit more than that for speed. Upper 280s to, to 290s, I believe. Uh, I can't really remember because I've kind of tried to slowly change my poundage a pound at a time. But, you know, for me, I really like that speed and I like how that vein's performing there. Um, and then also, um, you asked in the last part of this question... You said that um, I have face contact, so I was thinking of switching to the lower profile just to get clearance. Um, and honestly, if you're just going to shoot a three-fletch, then I would say no. Uh, you need to stick with something that's a little bit bigger. But if you want to try that four-fletch option, then I think you're going to be happy with it. And yeah, you definitely don't want to have any type of setup that gives you... Um, any type of pressure or contact on your face. That's kind of a trouble area for sure. Uh, the next question here is from Base of the Bighorns. Pretty cool Facebook name. Um, said, I've been shooting Carter Evolution for six months or so. I'm getting very comfortable with the release, loving it. My question is, when I settle in the acre point and start increasing tension with my back to activate the release, I start to get some pin movement. Um Mostly my pin moves directly to the right of the spot. So when the shot breaks, of course, I'm hitting off to the right, but my elevation is good, and I'm a right-handed shooter. Any ideas? So in my opinion, normally if you're, you know, I think how you're pulling or what you're pulling with um, to get through that shot is going to affect uh, why you're kind of going off to the right. And there, it can be two things. One is going to be your stance. If your stance is closed, meaning your front toe is further forward than your back foot, then your torso is already kind of facing to the right of your shooting line, which means as you're pulling through your shot, your torso is naturally going to want to straighten out and go to the right of the shooting line. So try to make sure that your toes are at least parallel. Um, if anything, I prefer to have my front toe just slightly one or two inches back um, compared to my back foot. So 
And that really helps with if you are slightly open or in a neutral stance like that, as you're pulling through, you're not going to feel like you're twisting away from the target. That's going to be the first thing. The next thing is going to be if you're pulling with the correct muscles and you're using those small little rhomboids in the center of your shoulder blades to kind of pull that release, your release elbow back straight back towards something behind you until it executes then you're going to have less movement than if you're trying to incorporate that whole upper shoulder system if you're really trying to pull with like your entire scapula and your deltoids and your main lat if you're trying to pull with all that big massive muscle that you have on your pulling arm then what happens is you're going to slowly twist yourself to the right of that target and have that release go off. So you might want to to focus on those smaller muscles for that pull instead of the entire range of, of muscle that you have on that bow arm. Don't pull with your bicep or with your shoulder, you know, your actual deltoid, your shoulder muscle. You want to really focus on that small little muscle group that's in the center of your back but on your bow arm your bow scapula side it's you know a muscle that's probably about the size of the palm of your hand that small muscle right there is what you're going to use to pull that scapula and that shoulder back you don't want to be pulling with the entire mass um it's going to help you slow down that front pin movement, and I think you're going to be a lot better off. Uh, next question here is from Marshall, and he says, I've been watching every piece that you've done um, and been pouring over releases and trying out everything I can find out and need help. I'm looking to convert to a T-handle style release. I've tried the Carter Evolution. But honestly, it's terrifying to me. I have no control, and actually, that's the problem. Um, can you or do you have any recommend, recommendations on what release I should be looking at? Um, honestly, there's like two keywords there, Marshall, and you're not going to like to hear this. Um, and I heard I've heard something from a, a very... Uh, a very powerful speaker sometime, one time, and um, it's something that sticks in my head and I repeat to myself constantly um, on everyday situations in life, and that is if things are going to change for you, you have to change. And the deal is two key words in that, sent, in that paragraph that stuck out to me was... Um, terrifying no control um because honestly you have to learn to not have control of when your shot goes off and until you know that you are not going to be able to really master what i think is the art of archery and that is learning to shoot with an unanticipated surprise shot whether 
that means you pull back and put your center, your pin in the center of the target for one second until a release surprisingly goes off or whether that means that you're trying to hold your pin in the perfectly center of that target for two minutes and it won't go off and you let down. It doesn't matter. You have to be able to lose control on your mind's ability to know or care when that release is going to fire. The one thing that you want to be able to have control on is your ability to hold your pin in the center of the target and nothing else matters. You literally don't give a crap about anything else that's happening. You're putting your pin in your in the center. You're in your happy place. And you're willing to just sit there and see how long you can hold it in the middle with nothing happening, if that's what you want to do. Um, it's funny, you you kind of, sometimes, even as a parent, you start to, um, you know, I've got a teenager at home, so, you know, sometimes I start thinking about things, do I need to teach this do I need to teach that and you know and then sometimes a subject comes up well that's going to kind of be really uncomfortable to have to to deal with that but honestly part of part of maturing part of getting better part of evolving is not being comfortable and having to make a change you know it seems like if someone's going to make a change, it's going to come at the point where their comfort means less than their result. And until you get to that point, then the only release that's going to make you happy is one that you can fire when you want to. And that's only going to do good for you when you're in a perfect element where you have no pressures, there's not a big buck in front of you, you're not shooting it at some type of a tournament or a target, it's literally going to be when you're in your backyard and nothing's on the line and things just happen to be clicking that day. If that's all you want, then shoot whatever release you want. But if you really want to try to figure out how to be better, then you have to put that fear behind you and you have to go in mentally saying, I'm not going to have control for a while. This, this release is going to be scary, but I'm stronger than it and I'm going to make it through it. You know, once you have that mentality, then you will progress. So um, consider that and maybe rethink, uh, maybe rethink what your goals are. And also, you know, I guess mentally you have to start to eliminate that type of vocabulary out of your out of your mind um you know start thinking of it the other way and 
start referring to that Carter Evolution as it's going to be one of the easiest releases you've ever shot. You know, um, Christian Berg, editor of Peterson's Bowhunting, was struggling with this exact thing almost a year ago. And I can tell you, one of the better episodes that I'll have for this year when it comes to just excitement and sheer passion is when I went out with Christian and went and filmed him for a few days um, hunting, and he shot a really nice buck, a really good buck, and he shot it with a Carter Evolution, and totally impromptu, he just, he was so elated at how perfect of a shot he made, and he turned, and he said, I have to, I have to talk about this Carter Evolution, it's totally changed my life, and he went in to talk about how that release and some of the steps that I've discussed here, how he put those to use and how we got him back on track again of being a great shot. So hopefully that inspires you a little bit. And I really, really hope that, uh, that you can see the light buddy. Cause it's a lot easier. The water isn't as deep as it looks. It's just a reflection. Once you kind of put your toe in there, you're going to realize that, uh, it's really, only a puddle it's not a lake so um next question here is from tim he says uh tim says he considers me the bow doctor so thank you um i wish i was paid about like a doctor that would make things easier when i knock an arrow on my bow and look down the string and arrow my sight pin is left when i miss it's usually left also. Can you tell me what the problem with my bow setup is or what causes this? So first off, it could be your grip or your facial pressure. If if I'm factoring out the design of the bow and the natural engineering qualities of the bow, then it's going to be your hand position or your facial pressure is going to cause that. Because if you have a lot of facial pressure on your string, on the arrow shaft, then the arrow is going to naturally take a certain path out of the bow. If it's being pushed off to the right and then traveling left out of the bow, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to move your pins way left in order to chase that arrow to where you're kind of predetermining, you're sending it there predetermined uh, because of your, your form flaw. Um, I've actually got a really good friend who shoots with a lot more facial pressure than what I like, but he's consistent with it. So it, I kind of let it go. I don't really uh, hassle him about it too much. He's consistent with it. Um, but I can tell you that if he was worried about making sure his pins were lined up closer to his arrow shaft when he's looking down the bow like that, then he would have to eliminate that facial pressure in order to do that. Um, so look at your grip and your facial pressure. If you go to uh, deadlyarchery.info or knockontv.com, you'll see the articles tab. You can click on the articles tab. There'll be um, uh, something on there in regards to um, your grip, and you'll definitely want to focus on that. And what I mean, and actually, um, 
if you wait a few weeks, I think episode two focuses on bow grip um, this year for the new season. So um, if you tune in, you can see a, about a four-minute um, dead center segment on front hand position, and that can help you as well. Um, let's see. The next question here is going to be from – well, let me go back, Tim. Um so the next thing would be if the bow itself naturally flexes a lot as it's drawn, then typically if there's flex in the riser, then what happens is as you pull the bow back and there's more pressure put on the cables, since the cables are connected to that cable rod, they push on that rod and they're twisting the bow. So if you can think about that, if you have a, a cable rod or a roller guard that comes way back, if you put your finger on the end of that cable rod and you push it in towards yourself, just the same as the way the cables are going to naturally press on that, it's going to want to twist the front of your bow to the right. It's going to want to do the opposite of what you're doing on the back portion of the bow. And that's what's happening as you draw that riser is flexing and it's moving everything to the right in the front of the bow. So that's why when your bow is relaxed, your sight pins are left of your pin. But as you draw back, that whole riser flexes and bends and those pins come up directly over your arrow shaft at full draw. Um, To me, that's how I can tell a lot of these bows how well they're designed. If you kind of want to freak yourself out, um, screw a 34-inch stabilizer on the front of some some model bows and draw the bow back. I've had I've had a few model bows from uh, other companies that I won't throw specific names out there, but I had one that the person his pins were so far left of the arrow shaft it was all i almost wanted to know if something was wrong so i put a stabilizer a long stabilizer on the front of the bow when i drew that bow back i could actually see the tip of my stabilizer off to the right of my sight my actual sight bracket the end of my stabilizer was almost off so far to the right I could see it on the whole right side of the bow so that shows you that thing was flexing probably that at the end of that long stabilizer it was probably swinging three to four inches out at the end of that stabilizer so that same exact thing is happening on your sight pins which is why there's a variance there so uh, let's see here Next question is going to be from uh, Jonathan, and he says, I've been doing some research on fletching selections without much success. Um, I know the general rule for big is big veins for indoors or small for long range, but there's so many intermediate sizes and shapes that I can't uh, immediately understand what to use. Um, do you have any insight or online material? So... This is actually a topic that we're going to cover a lot this year. Um, as some of you know, probably last year in the knock-on TV, 
we did a news segment, an educational segment called Knocked and Ready to Rock, where I'd had 13 segments of building a bow start to finish. I showed you all the steps that I do to build a bow, set up a bow, start to finish. This year, on season six of the show, I'm doing a Knocked and Ready to Rock that is every step I go through to building my arrows. So it's vein selection. It's differences of vein groupings. It's everything. Arrow selection, component fit, it's everything. So that is definitely going to help. One thing that I can tell you is, you know, even on my indoor setup right now, as a rule of thumb, yes, on a if you're shooting an arrow that isn't perfectly spined for your setup, it's going to be more important that you shoot a bigger fletch to stabilize faster so that you can have that arrow some control on that arrow at that shorter those shorter distances because you don't want to if you're shooting at 18 meters you don't have time for that arrow to really stabilize out there you know 20 30 yards you need it to stabilize like immediately so that's why people are shooting longer veins longer feathers and a lot of that has to do with when you're trying to shoot the really super big diameter arrow shafts um, or if you don't have proper spine or you're not shooting a correct foc in your arrows now what i found is still to this day even though it's not the biggest arrow shaft at my draw length and my weight i get along really good like for example right now in my hoyt uh, hyper edge i'm shooting at about 58 pounds and I'm shooting a 2315 arrow, cut it about 29 inches long with a 180 grain point. Um, with that setup, the spine of that arrow matches what I'm shooting perfectly. And I'm actually shooting a three fletch with a 260 elite vein at about a two degree offset. And I've got perfect steering. I don't have any problems. I'm super happy with it. So if your spine is right and if your FOC is is fairly high and good, then you know, especially if you're over nine and a half or ten percent or higher with the proper spine, you'll find that you can get away with minimal fletching, which helps when it comes to downrange ballistics or clearance on the rest or contact on your face. Um but these are all things that you need to learn first. Uh, you have to learn your spine first and make sure that you have the best arrow. And that's going to relate back to that tuning method that I talked about calling the hill method. Uh, you can find an, um, an article called Conquering the Hill on the DudleyArchery.info or knockontv.com page uh, websites in the articles tabs. So hopefully that helps you out. Uh, appreciate you sending me the question too. And sorry for the late reply. I'm going to do one more question here. We're over an hour now. So I'm going to drop into one more question. Um, this is from Jared Brunskill. Uh, he says, your Nocturne Ready to Rock segment is amazing. I'm learning so much. Just wish I could afford to get a bow press. I know the feeling uh, that they're not cheap. Um, you talk about speed versus kinetic energy. Uh, my draw is 27 and a half pound, uh, inches pulling 60 pounds. 
My arrow weight's 378, and that's with a 100-grain head. Um, my speed is 278 feet per second. In your opinion, how heavy should my arrow be to get the most kinetic energy out of it? But at the same time, not losing too much, making my arrow slow. So there's a fine line here, and there's so many discussions now about speed, kinetic energy, momentum. So I kind of keep this fairly simple. One, I found that for me personally, the difference between speed and momentum or energy, the difference between those two, it favors speed at a close distance. But after you get, for me, after I get to about 34 yards, it seems like speed quickly dissipates and energy or momentum take over. Um, I've found that if you're going to be shooting any type of distance, especially past 35 yards, that you're going to want to have weight pushing behind the arrow you want to have. Weight and momentum is what's going to help retain that energy at the longer distances. The more you can retain your energy, the more accurate that arrow will be. An arrow is a lot, if you can think about, it's I call it the parachute effect. The faster the arrow starts to decelerate, the more it'll start to lose its accuracy, so to speak. Um, I really like to try to retain energy from point A to point B as much as possible. So, But there's a fine line there. I think where you're at right now with that setup to where you're able to shoot at about 280 feet per second is probably because of your short draw and your low poundage is where you need to be. If you load up any more on your arrow in order to boost your kinetic energy or boost your momentum, then what's going to happen is you're going to start to have pin gaps that are so big or you're going to have an arrow that starts to get slow enough to where the animal's reaction to the string is going to have more of an impact on how your bow and your equipment is performing than it is on the actual impact itself. So I really like to try to, if people are on that fine line, which you are, I like to try to go with the arrow that allows them to at least shoot 280 feet per second. Now, if you told me that with that arrow, you're shooting 300 feet per second, but with the 420 grain arrow, you could shoot 280 feet per second, I would tell you to shoot that heavier arrow at that point. But because you're on that line right now at that 280 feet per second mark, then that's where I'm going to tell you to be. Each year when bows come out and they get faster and faster and faster, um, I've always saw that as an opportunity to shoot a heavier arrow at the same speed that I feel comfortable shooting. And for me, when it comes to accuracy, steering, tunability, I just found that somewhere between that 278 
to 288 is a great speed for being able to really have the opportunity to still shoot a fixed blade head, to shoot a little bit smaller fletch if you want, which will benefit you in downrange ballistics or drift. And it also still has a good speed to keep your pin gaps fairly close. So hopefully that helped you out. Uh, Everybody, I appreciate you sending things in. And I do promise I'm... I'm back in my my routine now. The show's getting ready to launch. Uh, I'm pretty much going to be focused on shooting, lifting, riding my bike, which I love doing. And I'm going to be having some pretty cool seminars and stuff coming up this summer or this winter. And uh, I'm definitely going to spend a lot more time here. Uh, doing podcasts and getting some videos out to you. So thanks everybody so much. Appreciate it. And uh, make sure you spread the word about everything that we're doing. I sure appreciate it and hope you all have a great holiday season. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com